Hello, Strange Stories UK here again. Series 1, episode 8. I need to give a warning that this episode is not suitable for children. It contains content of a sexual nature which will offend some people. The story starts in August 1979, the month in which a nudist beach was established in Brighton, where this story is set. A storm in the Irish Sea hits the Fastnet yacht race, causing chaos and 15 people drown. Lord Mountbatten and two teenage boys are assassinated by the IRA in County Sligo, Ireland, with a bomb on their boat. The same day, 18 British soldiers were killed by the IRA at Warren Point in Northern Ireland. Douglas Adams is riding high in the book-selling lists with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We Don't Talk Anymore by Cliff Richard knocks I Don't Like Mondays, Boomtown Rats from the top of the singles charts. Both enjoyed four weeks at the top. And the film Aliens is about to be released. The defendant cut a rather pathetic figure, short, Overweight, balding white hair, a goatee-type white beard and intense eyes behind glasses. When he spoke, it was using euphorisms in genteel slang. The defendant was called Keith Freeman. He was in the dock for grooming and exploiting teenage boys. It was a historic case. The crimes had been committed up to 37 years earlier. What stood out during the case was that Freeman seemed genuinely perplexed. He did not seem to think they'd done anything wrong. In his mind, he was in another time and place. Brighton in the 1970s and 80s. A time when he was a, a young gay man and felt unable to live the life of a libertine. Freeman was standing in the court four at Lewis Crown Court. He had no previous convictions. He had given his date as birth as the 3rd of April 1949, born at Red Hill in Surrey. Freeman had moved to the Isle of Wight when he was 21 to manage a public house where he became an alcoholic. After becoming used to spending all day drinking, Freeman claimed that he used to drink himself sober. Freeman moved to Brighton aged 23 in 1972 and for the next 23 years Freeman worked for the NHS organising the cleaning at a women's hospital at Windlesham Road in Brighton. During his time in Brighton he also worked at various clubs and pubs. He was a friendly and gregarious character. Freeman lived in a bedsit at Norfolk Road which is off the main road that runs from Brighton to Hove with a well-known Banker's Fish and Chip Cafe restaurant on the corner. The house in Norfolk Row was an early Victorian terraced house divided into bedsits. On each landing there was a bedsit. Freeman lived in the attic flat on the top floor. And one had to duck as they entered the door. There was a front room with an adjoining kitchenette and a bedroom. It was cheaply partioned off with plasterboard. 
The story from which the crimes developed started around August 1979, when the first victim, who we should call Mark, was aged 14 years. He was hitching a ride back to Little Dean Children's Home, no longer there, from outside the Hungry Years Heavy Metal Rock Club, opposite Brighton's Palace Pier. Little Dean Children's Home was in Rottingdean. Mark was 14 years old when he was given a lift by Freeman and a camp man called Robert, who was Freeman's partner. On the way back to Rottingdean, they stopped at a pub on the clifftop where they bought 14-year-old Mark a vodka and orange. Mark said that they seemed friendly and asked questions, such as, How long have you been in care? How often do your parents visit? And similar questions. Mark had had a difficult childhood and been a runaway after clashing with his stepfather. He lived in the children's home until he was 16. Mark had been getting into trouble with the law since 1981 and he later served time for theft from houses and cars. As one continues up from Freeman's bedsit in Norfolk Road, you cross Lansdowne Road and enter Norfolk Terrace. There was a hotel there in the 1980s at number numbers 14 to 19. It's now a decaying block on sale for £6 million, providing many bedsits for mainly foreign visitors to Brighton. This was the Abbey Hotel where Mark was working. The year is now 1983, and while walking up to the hotel, Mark meets Freeman, who was working on a car on the road outside his bedsit. It's the first time they've met since that day four years ago when he gave Mark a lift. Mark explains he's now 17 years of age and living in the staff quarters at the Abbey Hotel with his girlfriend, Juliet. Mark agrees to meet later, and from that time went several times to Freeman's bedsit where he would drink Freeman's alcohol. Mark said he often felt uncomfortable with Freeman, who was very tactile. He liked hugs and kissing on the cheek, which later progressed to lip kissing. If Mark said he felt uncomfortable, Freeman would say, I thought we were friends. This is what friends do. In retrospect, Mark realises he was being groomed. He was a vulnerable 17-year-old and Freeman was in his mid-30s. During the summer of 1983, Freeman asked Mark to look after his bedsit while he helped a friend move his belongings to a new address. Mark agreed. While he was at the flat, he started to drink a bottle of gin. Mark said he was drinking because he was bored, the TV was broken, and there were no mixers for the gin, and he got drunk. When Freeman returned later that evening, he told Mark that he was too drunk to go back to Juliet. That had upset Juliet in the past, with Mark coming home drunk, and he'd better sleep it off. He told Mark to go and have a lie down in the bedroom. Mark woke up early the next morning with his trousers down. Freeman was laying on top of him. He had a pain in the back passage. When challenged, Freeman said, you asked me to do it to you. 
In retrospect, Mark concludes that Freeman had set him up to get drunk. Knowing he would drink the gin and deliberately leave nothing to mix it with and no tea or coffee. Mark referred to this incident as fake day, a setup to get him drunk. Mark returned to Juliet, but soon they'd broken up. She took off with a neighbour, and Mark left the Abbey Hotel. Being desperate for somewhere to stay, Mark went to see Freeman, who had just bought a maisonette with his friend Robert, who was a barman. The flat was at Claremont Terrace near Preston Park Railway Station in Brighton. Four people lived at the maisonette. Freeman often shared a room with a 21-year-old called Alan. There was a female called Katrina, who also lived at the property. And it could be argued that there was a friendship between Mark and Freeman at the time. Freeman had a partner, and Mark joined them on a caravan holiday to Dorset in 1985. There was no sexual contact. Mark was a frequent visitor to the flat over a space of the year. Freeman did persuade a drink-induced Mark to engage in sex with himself and Alan, which happened to be over a period of time. Mark also went to Freeman's place of work where sexual contact took place. Freeman called Mark Blondie during this time. While staying at Claremont, Freeman took Mark codging on about six separate occasions. This was usually at male public toilets where gays meet for anonymous sex. Mark said he would just sit in the car until Freeman had finished. Mark felt that Freeman had tried to turn him into a homosexual. He considered himself heterosexual. Mark wanted friendship and support. And although he had a place to stay at Freeman's house, with a supply of alcohol, he also felt he had been groomed and used by Freeman and this caused him to distrust people, suspecting their motivations. Mark, who had had a criminal record, stole a credit card from Freeman and Robert after breaking into their rooms. The police were informed of this offence, and Mark threatened the police with a crossbow from the window of the maisonette during the September of 1986. The local press called it the Siege of Claremont Road, and for this, Mark was given an 18-month prison sentence on the 26th of September, 1986. Freeman and Mark did meet up once again in the early 1990s, when Freeman was living at Cliveden Court in, in Brighton. Mark went to show off a new car that he purchased, as he knew Freeman was interested in cars. He also took his younger half-sister, with the purpose to show her the man that had interfered with him when he was younger. His half-sister later told the court that Mark was staying in a bail hostel at the time in Kemptown. That's in Brighton. He wanted to show me the man he had bum sex with. At that time, she was being sexually abused, abused in a case that went to court. She said, when I had children, I cut off all contact with Mark. Around the same time that he had met Mark, Freeman had chanced upon another troubled boy. The Clock Tower, sometimes called the Jubilee Clock Tower, is a freestanding tower in the centre of Brighton. 
Built in 1888, in commemoration of the Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee, it was built by Mr Willing. But the council sent him a rate demand for it, which he refused to pay. And in revenge, the council built public toilets below this tower, since removed. The public toilets were a well-known gay cruising meeting point at the time. There is some debate over when the following incident took place. It may have been 1983, or perhaps a year or two later. Freeman went to use the public toilets under the clock tower. When inside, Freeman heard voices from a cubicle. An upset voice and another man saying, You want to do it? Freeman hung around outside the door when the door burst open and two young men ran up and out the steps. Freeman said to the boy, who we shall call Daniel, who was left inside, The buggers have gone, you can come out now. Freeman then claimed that he said to Daniel, You have a choice. You can go to the police or I can meet you after I finish work at Norfolk Square for a chat to talk about what happened. Later, Daniel denied that Freeman had suggested that he called the police. At 5.30, after Freeman had finished work, Daniel was waiting, and they went to the bear tip for a chat. There's a photograph of Daniel from around this time inside the Norfolk Terrace, bear tip of Freeman. Daniel admits he was cottaging, and he was overpowered in the toilets by two young men who masturbated over his face and tried to make him swallow their semen. Daniel was attending a private college near Brighton, where he boarded during the week, coming back to Brighton for weekends. Later he would change schools and attend a Brighton school. Daniel said he would often call at the Norfolk Road during the weekends, and later during the week. Freeman bought Daniel sweets and gifts such as T-shirts, and give him money. During his trial, Freeman denied buying gifts for Daniel, saying he could not afford it, as he had to pay for his tax, and his poll tax, and his flat, and look after two cats, and he was not well paid as an NHS worker. Freeman claimed that the only relationship he had with Armstrong was touchy-feely. When asked what this meant, Freeman said there was no kissing or stroking, but hand-holding and hugs. Freeman said that Daniel wasn't that sort of chap. He just came round for a natter and a cup of tea. Later, Freeman did admit things just happened, lying on the bed, playing around, touching each other. Freeman claimed that he thought Daniel was at technical college, and that he was 16 years of age, despite the fact that after he moved to a school in Brighton, Daniel would call round after school wearing his school uniform. Daniel said that Freeman had groomed him and forced him into sexual activity since the age of 12, and he tried to convince him that he was homosexual. Freeman told Daniel that once you are gay, you are always gay. 
Daniel said there was foreplay, sex and sucking and wanking. Sex sessions normally lasted from an hour to four hours in length. Freeman had a hypnotic voice as he tried to cajole Armstrong into sexual activity. Armstrong, se- Armstrong said that it was likely to had been drugged. Freeman would put a finger in his anus whilst that masturbation took place. Freeman would penetrate Armstrong until ejaculation. Armstrong thought he must have been penetrated about 50 times. Daniel was a young teenager and Freeman was a man in his mid-thirties. Daniel's visits came to an end during the spring of 1983 as Daniel's father discovered what had been going on between Freeman and his son and turned up at Freeman's bedsit with a couple of friends and beat up Freeman striking him four times in the face and four times in the stomach. Soon after this incident, Daniel's father died on Daniel's 16th birthday of a drugs overdose. Daniel called on Freeman in tears. Nothing sexual took place. During August, Daniel started to visit Freeman's bedsit again for mutual masturbation and oral sex, visiting about 24 occasions. Freeman denied there had been anal sex, although it had been attempted at Daniel's request. Freeman said that he had a small penis and he was obese and it was difficult. And anyway, having been raped at 14, Freeman did not like penetrative sex. Freeman claimed that Daniel was a dominant personality and the instigator of sex. Later, when he had moved to Claremont Terrace, Daniel came round to visit Freeman on two occasions. The first time there was an argument after Freeman had to visit the doctor and Daniel played strip poker with another person at the flat. On the second occasion, Daniel called around to tell Freeman that he now had a girlfriend. He joined a church organisation which did not allow him to be gay. Freeman has said to have said to Daniel that he was never gay but bisexual, although previously Freeman had tried to convince Daniel he was homosexual. Once a homosexual, always a homosexual, is what Freeman had told him. September 2012, the Jimmy Savile scandal broke, causing Operation Utree investigating child abuse. This brought into play the Utri effect, which was an increase in the number of reported sex crimes, giving victims a voice. This is a report published in January 2013, and it resulted in hundreds of alleged victims of Savile in other abusers approaching the police and the NSPCC. Daniel made a complaint to the police regarding sexual abuse by Freeman in 2014. Daniel argued that the climate was more acceptable now to make a complaint than it had been in the past, where he would have been viewed as an outcast. Daniel argued that he wouldn't say anything at the time because of the stigma. Today it's more acceptable to blow the whistle. 
He made his complaint through the Sussex Police Facebook page, and both victims were interviewed and videoed by sympathetic female officers trained to find out the, the true story. There was some debate as to the victims bringing the case in order to get compensation from the Criminal Injuries Board, and investigations were made to ascertain if a claim had been lodged. There was never any evidence that this was a factor in the defendants bringing the case. The judge pointed out that Freeman did not have any money, so he's not worth suing. Daniel wanted control, to gain control over his life. He never had held a job for more than 18 months. He was now a survivor. He was happily married with children. Daniel had let others know about Freeman's abuse, that being the reason that his father decided to take the law into his own hands. Daniel's parents had parted when he was young, his father being a functioning drug addict. Daniel was sent to boarding school. His mother commented that people said, oh, he's just like his father, who also ran away from his schools. It's a pity there was no attempt to find out what the cause was. Daniel's mother said it was only recently that Daniel had told her that he'd been abused between the ages of 13 and 16. This was in June 2015. And that must have been the cause of his unhappiness. And she had no idea of this at the time. Similarly, Mark did not complain to the authorities until 30 years after the incidents had taken place. Although he had told his half-sister and his father that he'd been interfered with after moving in with a couple of gay guys. Mark said he felt that he'd been groomed, raped. This had haunted him through his life. Mark had come forward to face up to what had happened to him as he'd always struggled with events that had taken place between himself and Freeman. Freeman was first arrested on the 10th of April 2015. Freeman commented while being arrested, I'm surprised I was not arrested before Derry. Derry Mayer. He was a friend of Freeman, who lived in Brighton and was sentenced to 18 years for the abuse of teenage boys in November 2015. Four occurred when two victims that knew of each other discussed abuse coming to light in 2013 and they discovered they had both been abused by Derry. During his interview, Freeman pretended not to know Daniel <clears throat> until the police explained who he was. Freeman claimed that he knew him as Marcus. The prosecution said that Freeman denied knowing Daniel in order to give him time to devise a story to explain away how he was grooming a 12-year-old boy. During his second interview, Freeman said they had not seen Daniel since 1983, which was 32 years ago. And he then answered no comment to every question after advice from his solicitor. Freeman, although not answering questions, did give a statement admitting oral sex, but not buggery. 
Originally, there were seven indictments, but after Freeman told, took the stand, he talked himself into three more of attempted rape of a minor. As the judge made clear during the case, these were historic sex crimes relevant to the law as it stood at the time when they were committed. Freeman seemed to think that if he could persuade the court that he thought his victims were 16 years of age when he abused them, he would be innocent of any crime. Freeman was informed that the age of consent for a homosexual relationship was 21 until 1994, when it was reduced to the age of 18. As he had already admitted to the new offences, the judge told the barristers that they would go through as a guilty plea. Freeman wasn't asked, he was just informed. The judge went through the indictments and made a point of saying that indecency with a child has never been defined and gross indecency meant the same as indecency. The prosecuting barrister kept her final speech short and let the facts speak for themselves. She had previously asked Freeman some difficult questions which Freeman had got indignant about and told the court how offended he was. The prosecuting barristers did make the point of asking the jury why were two men in their 50s that did not know each other are coming to the court telling a room of strangers what had happened to them if it had not been the truth. The defending barrister seems to have accepted that his defendant was going to be found guilty and just went through the motions. When the three extra indictments were added, the defence said they'd seen this coming and were not surprised. Freeman's barrister argued that the defendant had no previous convictions. He lived in a gay-friendly party town where young men, although the victims were boys, experimented with their sexuality. Some character ref uh, witnesses came forward it seemed that Freeman had helped at vintage car rallies and had been a good friend and neighbour. His partner for the previous 30-odd years said Freeman was now his carer and implied his life would be very difficult without him around. The judge then gave his summing up, giving Freeman credit for taking the stand, summarising the case and explaining the charges with which the Acts of Parliament they referred to. During the case it was determined that Freeman was sexually attracted to young boys. When questioned as to his definition of a young boy, he said between 18 to 21. The two victims that we heard of during the court case were both runaways with sad lives. They looked on Freeman as a friend. They had nowhere to go. Freeman groomed them and just made them do things that they later found repulsive. The boys were puzzled why they did it. I don't know why, I just did. I just did, was one of the comments that were made. Freeman must have had a guilty conscience. As he said to the police, I told Derry I was surprised I wasn't arrested before him. I'm wondering, does this apply that there were other victims that we do not know of? Freeman, who is now living a few miles down the coast at New Haven, was given a 13-year sentence 
after being convicted of buggery, attempted and gross indecency against one boy aged between 11 and 15, between 1979 and 1983, and one offence of indecent assault against a second boy aged between 15 and 16, between 1983-84. Freeman will be a registered sex offender for the rest of his life. Freeman was said to be a predatory sexual offender against vulnerable young boys. Well, thank you for listening to uh, to that. I'd like to thank Damselfly for providing the background music. And I look forward to uh, producing another episode next week. So thank you for listening and goodbye.